the last two sermons on marriage and family. So tonight and next Sunday, and then I'm starting a new series in the evenings. And I'll let you know when we get there. So orphans. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about orphans. And as I go, you'll see why it's an important subject. Why it's an important topic and an important teaching from God's Word. James. No, Afrikaners. This is James of this Jacobus in Afrikaans. I took a guy to a men's breakfast once, my neighbor in Elspreet. And the guy spoke in Afrikaans and my neighbor was English speaking. And he couldn't find Jacobus in his Bible. It's James. James. <laughs> yeah, James 1, verse 27, just the first half of the verse. James 1, Jacobus Ian. Verse 27a. Let's pray and then we'll hear the word of the Lord. Holy and heavenly Father, as we sang there, Lord, I am deeply aware of our finitude and your infinity. How little we are, how small we are in the presence of the Most High God. The Lord Jehovah reigns, His throne is built on high. The garments that he wears are light and majesty. His glory shine with beams so bright no mortal eye can bear the sight. And what are we but specks of dust? Lord, if you say that the nations, all the nations together, are like dust on the scales and a drop from the bucket, or all the earth, what is it but a speck of dust before the Almighty? Then what are we individuals? What are we, a few believers gathered here tonight and more believers gathered in other places? Oh, we are little and you are great. We thank you that we can have you as our Father and our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to us, Lord, from your word. Amen. George Muller as many of you know, he was a German, lived in the 1800s, and he moved to England. And when he was in England, uh, some years on, uh, some years went by, and then he started orphanages. And it started small. Now, listen to what John Piper says about George Muller. He built five large orphan houses cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. When he started in 1834, there were accommodations for 3,600 orphans in all of England. In the whole of England, only 3,600 orphans. When Muller started, 3,600 orphans were cared for. And twice as many children under eight years old were in prison. One of the great effects of George Miller's ministry was to inspire others that 50 years after Mr. Muller began his work, at least 100,000 orphans were cared for in England alone. He prayed in, George Muller prayed in millions of dollars in today's currency for the orphans. He never asked anyone directly for money. He only asked the Lord to provide in their needs. He never took a salary in the last 68 years of his ministry. 
but trusted God to put into people's heart to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan. He never went into debt. Nooit skuld gemaakt nie. And neither he nor the orphans ever went hungry. Alright, so George Miller's ministry is a practical application and practical obedience of the verse we're going to read now. So, what about us? How do we apply this verse? Next slide. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So that's this ware godsdienst. This suiver godsdienst. Is om wederwees en weeskinders te besoek in hulle elende. And then the verse goes on, but I'm not going to cover that tonight. Okay, we're going to answer two questions from the verse. Question number one, why should we help orphans? Weeskinders, why should we help orphans? I saw on a, a number of websites, I didn't read the articles, this is just an illustration, uh, so I didn't need to read all the articles, just that shows us the difference between pure honey and adulterated honey, or pure honey and fake honey. And there's a way they test it to show you this is not real honey. And in the same way we can say there's a way to test what is true religion and what is false religion, what is pure and what is impure religion. And one of the ways is love for our neighbor. As we see there, loving especially the lowest of the low, those in dire need, in dire circumstances, in difficult trials, the trial of being without parents, being without a husband, uh, orphans and widows, to help them. And then the rest of the verse, uh, or verse 26 also says, by the way you speak, that just shows whether you're truly a Christian or not, otherwise your religion is worthless if you don't control your tongue. And the end of verse 27 says, Keep yourself unstained from the world. Worldliness and ungodly living and so on. Alright, now, why doesn't James say, Pure religion is to believe in Jesus. He could have said that. Why didn't he say that? The reason he didn't say that is because of James 2. James chapter 2 verse 14 to 26 says, There exists something as false faith. Where you say you believe in Jesus, but your actions don't show it. So true faith in Jesus will always lead to good works. And that's, he just is using an example of what kind of good works you want to look at. And we look at as Christians. Because uh, merely to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, is not enough. Does the devil believe Jesus is Lord? Yes, he knows Jesus is Lord. Is the devil saved? No. So it's not enough to just say you believe in Jesus. Good works will follow if there's real faith. Now a question comes, what about the Roman Catholics? What about the Jehovah's Witnesses? What about the Mormons? What about Muslims? What about Buddhists? What about Hindus? What about atheists who do good works? And they don't believe the right stuff. They don't believe the true gospel. Well, first of all, we should say Romans 3 verse 12 teaches us there is no one who does good. So in and of ourselves, we will not do good. Now, outwardly it might look good, and you might see what these people are doing good, the gift of the givers. They as a Muslim organization, and they're helping the poor and suffering people and people in crises, various crises. 
So what about the gift of the givers? Um, and you look at the Jehovah's Witnesses, man, who, who doesn't, who's never wished he's got the feet of a Jehovah's Witness? And then they walk everywhere. They spread their false doctrine. Or even Jews. Or Mormons. All of that is driven by self-love and fear. Fear that they will not inherit eternal life. Fear they will not live on the new earth. Fear they will not go to paradise. I remember the late Martin Holt at a, we had like a mini uh, pastor's conference in Barberton. And he said, we, we always say the Jehovah's Witnesses, look how zealous they are. Look how passionate they are. He said, they're not passionate. They're afraid. They're afraid they will not enter the new earth or, or pass the judgment. They need to do enough to earn God's favor and hope they'll make it. And the same with all these others works-based religions. All religions in the world can be divided into two camps, two categories. You've got religions that say you are saved by works and then you've got religions that say you are saved by grace. And that is one religion, and that is biblical Christianity that says that. Hindus and Buddhists, why do they do good works? Well, they hope they get a good karma. karma. They want good karma, and they want, want merit. And if you earn merit, what that means is you get blessings in this life, and you don't come back as a cockroach. You don't come back as something that's not good. You come back as a holy cow or a rat. <laughs> Okay, so that's why they, they need to do good things to, to have a better life in the next life. And then eventually they hope they can break out and break free from this endless cycle of reincarnation and they can reach the great uh, nirvana, as the Buddhists call it. You know of a music group with that name if you went to school in the 1990s. Biblical Christianity is different. You see, biblical Christianity, why do we do good works? We do our good works, Koran Deo, before God, in the presence of God. We want to please God. The verse says that. Religion that is pure and undefiled, before God. That's Koran Deo. Deo means God. Koran is before His face. So that's how we live our Christianity, how we live our religion, if you want to call it, as James calls it that. You see, the biblical Christian knows God doesn't only see our deeds... God even sees our intentions. He sees our thoughts. He sees our hearts. He sees our motives. He sees why we do what we do. He sees when someone stands praying and says, Oh Lord, I thank you. And he uses his great big words like the Pharisees because they want to be praised for their prayers. Or when he gives, uh, Oh, let's clean the park. You want to come with me? We're going to clean the park so we can have our picture in the Kempton Express. Or in other whatever newspaper or the town you live in. Or we want to, we give this big check. Now I know they don't give checks anymore. Gele noch checks. No. But in the old days, nee, not even so long ago. A big check, standard bank check of 10,000 rand. Look what we gave to the children's home and we're in the newspaper for it. Christians don't do their good works that way. You see, the true Christian, he wants to do it before God. He wants to please His Father, just like Jesus taught us in Romans 15. Even pleasing our neighbor, doing it for His good. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves. 
So we don't merely want to, in our good works, we don't merely want to just hear the word. Oh, this is what we're hearing. And we're hearing it tonight. And we heard it this morning. We don't just want to hear the word. As Christians, we want to do the word. And this is what James says in verse 22. Be doers of the word. Up to verse 25. And now he's explaining to you, how do you do the word? This is one example of how we obey the word of God. And become a doer and not merely a hearer. So what James is showing us in this verse is the father heart of God for orphans and for widows and the rest of the verse, but I'm focusing on orphans now. God has a heart for the fatherless. He cares for them. Um, Psalm 68, if I can take you there for a moment. Don't lose your place. Oh, well, you've got James on the screen, so you can't lose your place. Psalm 68, if you want to turn there quickly. And the Afrikaans is going to be verse 6, uh, English verse 5. Psalm 68, 5 in the Afrikaans, verse 6 in, or uh, 5 in the English, verse 6 in Afrikaans. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. God is the father of the fatherless. And if you go to Hosea 14, verse 4, it says, In you, in you, O Lord, the orphan finds mercy. God cares for orphans and He protects them and He comforts them and He provides for them. I've got a list of verses here. Uh, uh, Chris read us some verses earlier. I'll get to that now. But in Deuteronomy 10 verse 18, again, God cares for the orphan. He cares for the fatherless. Psalm 10 verse 14, verse 17 and 18, again, God, He stands up for them. He protects them. He cares about them. Psalm 146 verse 9. I, I preached this not too long ago. Psalm 146 verse 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. This pilgrims, mense wat rondreis, en is van ander land, buitenlanders. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Proverbs 23 verse 10 and 11. It says, if a fatherless child... He's, he's inherited a piece of land from his dad when his father died. You're not allowed to go in and take that land from him. God protects them. And if you do, it says God will stand up against you. And then Jeremiah 49 verse 11. Leave your fatherless children. I will take care of them. Leave your widows with me. The Lord will look after them. Okay, now if God is our father, shouldn't we be like our father? Shouldn't we have the same heart as God for orphans? Now the question is, how? How do we do this? And that's the next part of the verse. Second question, how should we help? So in this week, Timothy and I went evangelizing. Um, and I can't even remember what day this was. Maybe Tuesday or Wednesday? So we went close to where the tennis courts were, but you'll see there are no more tennis courts. They've destroyed it. Uh, close to the tennis courts, and there were a group of youngsters sitting on the, on the curb, on the pavement. And we started talking to them and started sharing the gospel. And these young guys said, God doesn't care. God doesn't care for His world. Look at this world. God is doing nothing. What is God doing? They were arrogant and like challenging God. And I said, God... What do you mean he's doing nothing? Look at God's goodness to you. He gives us sunshine. He gives us rain. He gives you, you're able to breathe fresh air. 
He gives you senses you can see, you can hear. And God has sent, he gives us food. And the guy was quite chubby. <laughs> so he's had food. And God sent his son to die for us, to die for sinners on a cross. And he said, it's not enough. Really arrogant and challenging. It's not enough. Wow. Say God doesn't care. I know, I know. And, and the Bible teaches us God is high and exalted. He's high and lifted up. Says Psalm 113. But the very same Psalm tells us that God comes very low to those who are bowed down in the dust, to the poor, to the barren woman. He cares. And here we see he cares. He cares for the orphan. He cares for the widow. That very God that is high and exalted. Says Philippians 2, he became low and he became a human. And we know what that means. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem as a baby. Born in filth. Born between animals. And he comes like a slave. Not a rich king ordering everyone around as a servant. Washing his disciples' feet. Riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And in the end, dying like a criminal, not like a king. So tell me God doesn't do enough. He does do enough. This God cares for orphans and widows, and specifically for our topic tonight, orphans. Now the Greek word orphan there, it doesn't just mean what we think of as an orphan. We think when you hear the word orphan, you think of a child and the parents have died. Uh, orphan in the New Testament, in the Bible, can mean a child, only the father has died. That is why sometimes in the Old Testament it's translated as the fatherless. Only the dad has died, but that leaves the mom in deep trouble. Why? Because in those days, the mom didn't go out to work for a salary. So how is she going to survive? How is she going to take care of the children? So it's really a desperate situation. And she needs help from other people. And another thing often can mean, it can even mean, not only a dad who has died, a dad who has just upped and left. And he's left the wife, he's left his wife, he's left his kids, like in, in Proverbs 27 verse 8, Spreker uh, 7 to 8 verse 8, it says, like a bird that flies away from its nest and leaves the babies there, so is a man who just ups and leaves. He leaves his wife and he leaves his children. Now, if you go a step further then and say, okay, if that's what orphan means, now just take it the next level and say, all right, so if a child does lose both his parents and he's still young, that is really a desperate situation. So we've got the end of the verse, orphans and widows in their affliction, in their suffering, in their, the Afrikaans say, in the elender, this elender. He's a kind with niemand. I think I told you the story maybe not longer than two months ago or three months ago of a church in Pretoria who did outreaches in a, um, a township. Well, not a township. It was actually um, And there they found 10-year-old kids raising 2-year-old children. They've got no parents. 10-year-olds. That's really in their affliction, in their suffering. So what do you do? I mean, a child like that, if you're 10 years old and you, both your parents have died, you can't work for an income. Where do you get a salary? 
How do you support? How do you survive? And that is why in the Old Testament, God gave certain laws concerning fatherless children or concerning orphans. So God said, do not abuse the fatherless. Do not do injustice. Do not oppress. Do not suppress. Nee, we nie verdruk en onderdruk en hulle sleg behandel nie. En dis wat Koos nou vir ons gelees het vroeger. Deuteronomy uh, 27 verse 14. Deuteronomy 24 verse 17. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless. Jy mag nie hulle mishandel nie en hulle sleg behandel nie. Daar sal oordeel oor jou kom. Psalm 82 verse 3 the same. It speaks of these wicked judges, the magistrates, nee, that were, they didn't do justice to the fatherless. They didn't care about them. In Zechariah 7 verse 10, again, it says, you don't care about these fatherless children. I'm going to punish you. And I've spoken to you about this. So the Lord, the Lord sees it in a very serious light. If we abuse orphans, if we abuse and, and give no justice, injustice to the fatherless, um, Ezekiel 22, Ezekiel 22 verse 7, Job 24 verse 3, Psalm 94 verse 6. All those verses speaks of fatherless children. And God even calls such people, people wicked. You are wicked if you mistreat fatherless children and you don't care about them. And in that case, I've got a list of verses. I, I just typed into my search engine in the ESV, I've got ESV online, fatherless. And it gave me all the verses where the word fatherless is, and I, I went through every single verse, paging through my Bible, reading up the verses, seeing what it says. And this is what it says. And the word orphan, I did the same, and orphans, plural. This is what it says. If you do not care about the fatherless, if you oppress them, God will not answer your prayers. Zechariah chapter 7 speaks this way. God will be against you. God will curse you. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 27, Cursed is the one who oppresses the fatherless. So you already be in trouble. In, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 22 to 24, God says if you oppress fatherless children, they will cry out to God and God will kill you and make your children fatherless. That's very serious. And God is very serious about this matter. And if you care about the fatherless, God will show favor to you. God will shine his face upon you. And that we read in Jeremiah chapter 7. Let me read that. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, verse 5 to 7. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own home, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. I will bless you. Jeremiah 22. Verse 3 and 4. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed. Do no wrong. Do no violence to the resident alien, the fatherless. And the widow shed no innocent blood in this place. For if you will obey this word, there will enter the gates of this house, a king on the throne of David, and so forth. God will bless you. God will bless you if you care about the fatherless. Okay, now, I'm, I keep on saying care about, care about. What do I mean, care about? How? How do you care about them? What do you do practically? Well, in the Old Testament, the way they cared about the fatherless was tithing. Tindus. 
You gave 10% of your income. And remember, that wasn't hard cash, that you worked for money at the end of every month necessarily. Um, maybe your, your wealth was counted in how many sheep you have and how many cattle you have and goats and olives and vineyards and, and so on. So you took 10% of that. You did exchange it for hard cash. You went to Jerusalem to the temple for the feasts. And there you could buy again uh, at the temple and exchange the cash back to, to animals and all these. And then you give that to the fatherless. You give it to the Levites. You give it to the poor. You give it to widows. You give it to uh, people who are foreigners in your country, but they're serving the Lord God of Israel. So that's how you cared about them. This is Deuteronomy 14. You can go and read it for yourself. All the feasts at the Old Testament, when they had all these feasts, it's like a long weekend. You go on holiday, sometimes for a week. You've got a feast. And when you go to the feast, again, you take enough so that there's not only for you and your family, but for fatherless children or for orphans and widows and the rest of the poor. So you can care for those. So that's one way. And then another way is what Kurs read to us. I'm not going to read it again. Kurs read that if you've got a farm and you've got vineyards and you've got wheat, uh, wheat in your fields or you've got an olive orchard, then you don't strip it bare. You strip it. You don't strip it bare. You harvest it and whatever you forgot, you forgot. And whatever's still on the tree, you have to leave on the tree on the, on the vine or in the field. And that's for the orphans. And that's for the widows and so on. So that's one way. And those rules, those rules do not only go for Israel. For the Israelites. Those rules, are, that's something God has written on your heart. Every single human being should obey that now because of sin. We twist it and we don't and we're selfish and so on. But if we believers in Jesus Christ, then it must be part of who we are and what we do. You just take an Old Testament example. Job. Nee. Not Job, not Afrikaners. It's Job. Sachte B on the end. In Afrikaans, Job. But Job, he wasn't an Israelite. Job 1 verse 1 tells you that. And Job cared for orphans. Job actually says from a very young age, he started caring for orphans. He would share his food with them. He would stand up for them when people are against them. He would fight their case. You can read this in Job Chapter 29, verse 12, and Job 31, verse 17 and 18, and Job 31, verse 21. Now his friends accused him, false accusations, they didn't have any proof for this. They said, yes, Job, you just rob the orphans. You don't care for them. You don't help them. You chase them away. In Job 22, verse 9, that was a lie. Job proves them wrong later on. He said, I can give you all this evidence. I did care for the orphans. And God's heart is still the same, and that verse tells us. This is New Testament now. God's heart is still the same. He cares for orphans. And He wants us to care for orphans. Now, in the early church, they did that very well. In the early church, uh, what they did is, when there were children, I can almost, I don't even know, abandoned children. That's the correct English word. So these abandoned children, the Christians would take them in. And they would put them in Christian homes. So these abandoned children are cared for. In the, in the time of Justin Martyr, uh, Justin lived, he was born in the year 100, 100. So I said to his seventh of yard, now Jesus, Yimel to us, to Justin Gebore. So Justin Martyr, he said in his time, and I actually read this uh, on the internet, I went and searched this document, found it, and you can go and get the links on the internet. But they would take up a special collection for orphans in their church, and they would help the orphans. 
And the same in the time of Tertullian. Tertullian lived in North Africa in the year 160 he was born. And same thing, they had like a, uh, it was a voluntary. So you must forplift, they didn't force people, you must give. Everyone who wanted to give could give. And they would give, and they had this treasure chest, a scotkus, and they would take from this fund, and they would use that fund specifically for orphans, to help orphans. Here's a document from the second century. So there's nog steeds in die, in die honnets na Christus, nie? Al is het honnets, ons noem het tweede eeuw. Okay, so the second century, uh, the Christians, the believers said, uh, an, an ancient document said that instead of using your money to just buy another farm and another farm and another farm and more property, why not use that extra money to help orphans? And they actually encouraged the Christians to do that. And Peter Peter told us this once, and I preached on this once, from Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 says, when you fast, when you fast, and we're going to have that um, in two weeks' time, a week of fasting and prayer. But when you fast, the food you would have eaten, give it to orphans. So don't just keep it for yourself. And I spoke to Deirdre about this last night, I think. We spoke about this saying, Wow, when we fast, we shouldn't just keep all the goodies for ourselves. What about taking that, like they said, what you would have eaten, give it to the poor, give it to those in need. And we did it once, and Peter, I remember, encouraged that to say, guys, we, we're fasting now for this family in need, or for these people who are sick. Let's take that, what we would have eaten, and we, we could give it to someone in the church who was needy at that stage. Here's another document, a, a Christian book, from the year 380 AD, 380 na Christus. And it also, it, in, it said that when a Christian becomes an orphan, so here you've got a 10-year-old kid or a 12-year-old, he's been saved, he's a Christian, but now he becomes an orphan, then they encourage the believers, if you don't have children, adopt them. Take those children, those Christian orphans into your home. And then it continues, I quote, Those who perform such a great work and become fathers to the orphans, they will receive a, a reward for this good work from the Lord God. God will reward you for your obedience. And then again it goes on and it says, If you are ashamed, you've got a lot of money, you're rich, but you're ashamed of orphans, then the father of the fatherless, God himself will care for those orphans. But God will give you a child who is reckless and wasteful. And that child will blow all your money and spend all your money. God will give you and allow you to have a rebellious child because you don't care about those who are poor. You don't care about the orphans. Right, 4th century, the beginning of the 4th century. So this is the 300s. Ne? Beginning of the 4th century... Christians started orphanages. Because in the beginning it was just living at individual Christian homes, but now they started, it says, children's homes, orphanages. And I know, I know, not every believer is called to do that. Not everyone here is called to start an orphanage and to, help, to um, in that way, help the orphan. But all of us must, in some way, obey that verse. That God is the, He's the Father of the fatherless, so he tells us this is true religion, this is pure religion, is to visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction. Now when it says visit them, 
It doesn't mean go to their house for a cup of tea and a, and a chat. That's not what the word visit means there. That word visit in Greek means that you go and do inspection. That word visit in Greek means you go to the house to check out the situation or you go to where they are to see the, to, to summarize and, and for yourself a opsomung mark van die situasie. What is the need? How can I help? It's the same Greek word used in number of passages in Luke, Acts and Hebrews 2 where for instance it says God has come and he has visited his people. That doesn't mean oh God just came for a chat. That means God came to do something about it. He sent his son to save us. That means in Hebrews 2, in uh, Hebrews 2, quoting Psalm 8, where it says, you visit mankind. What is, the, what is man that you visit him? What is the means that That's the same Greek word in Hebrews 2 when it quotes that psalm. So, in other words, God, God visits us with good things. He visits you with sunshine and rain and food, all those things, those, those guys at the corner told me that is not enough. Now, how, how do you do this for orphans? The way you do this for orphans, the way you visit them in their suffering, you help them in their suffering, is you don't give them your old t-shirt that's got a hole here. And it's quite big because it's torn and here's some small holes where the... You don't give them your oldest and torn clothes. Geef hulle dit wat jou kinders gedraad wat nog ordentlik is. Nee, but jou kinders is nou te groot, maar is nog mooi kleren. You give that to the orphan, you give that to the children's home. Or maybe when you go do your grocery shopping, just buy an extra deodorant, buy an extra hand cream, buy an extra toothpaste and toothbrush. And so we've got some extra toiletries we want to give to the children's home. And then if, if the Lord lays it on your heart, and if the Lord supplies in your need in this way, then you say, the Lord has supplied in my need. I want to help these orphans financially. Uh, and obviously don't give lots of money to a small kid or to an orphan. There needs to be a process how you do this so they're really cared for. And then be careful. <laughs> so for instance, you, some of you know Leon Haramse, who he's attended our evening services at times. He's the pastor at Sunwood Park Afrikaans Baptist Church. But he lives in Kempton, and he's also involved at Morister Kinnerais in Birchley. And he's involved there every week. He's, he's pens and poik, his boots and all his betrokken. So maybe get in contact with someone like that and say, how can we help? And I've spoken to him. I've actually got a list. It was here on the front seat. Deirdre's got it. He gave me a list because I said, how can we help? So he gave me a list of needs that they had. This is financial at the moment, but, and, and priority also. This is very important. This is not so important. This can wait, and so on. So they do have needs, and especially now, they're not getting a subsidy, a subsidy for January or February. And they were supposed to get it long ago. They're only getting a subsidy in March, so they do have a financial burden on them at the moment. At least the children are cared for. There is food in the house. But there are a lot of other things that they can't cover. For instance, the lady who says, What's the house, ma? The matron? Matron? Okay. What? Okay, not the housekeeper, the lady who she takes care of the whole thing. All right. So that lady, for instance, her salary can't be paid. Um, 
So in some way to think, what is the Lord laying on your heart? What is your uh, gift that God has given you? How can you support? How can you help? Now I want to say when I say this, please don't do it unbiblically. There's an unbiblical way to do it. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, As often as you have the opportunity, do good to everyone, especially to those who belong to our spiritual family. So your first priority is fellow Christians, fellow believers. That's number one. And the place we give, this is an important principle, the place we give is first we give to the local church we belong to. Because some Christians, they think they can just give to some charity. But then you know different from Lotta. I'm just giving to a charity this month. No. Your first priority is your spiritual family. If you've got something left to say, no, I've got something left, I also want to give here. Or you give it and you say, you know, I want to mark this. And say, please can you see to it that this gets to the children's home. Now you can probably do it yourself if you want to. But if you would like to do it that way, and we will make certain that it gets to them. The elders will make certain of that. Maybe you, you are called not to support financially. Maybe you are called to say, I want to help emotionally. Those poor kids, they're suffering. Their parents have thrown them away or the parents have died. I want to help emotionally. And, and what you would do then is you would visit them regularly. So you're not going to just go there and say, you know, I want to take one of you for an ice cream. I want to take one of you for the weekend. Let's take you on a holiday. They won't allow that. So there's their structure and their, their processes in place. So what you need to do is first get to know them and visit again. Once a week maybe. Visit again. Visit again. Visit again. Bring a gift. And start to get to know the children and then build a friendship with one of the children. And eventually through all the right, right processes, processes, you bring one of the kids on it. You want to come and visit me for the weekend? Or do you want to come for the long weekend? Or whatever. Um, so that's a way, that's a way to maybe serve and apply James 1 verse 27. Uh, or foster care, that's another way. I know of peop two people who do that. So your house, and there's probably a process to this too. I don't know how it works, but your house then becomes a, a place where you don't adopt the child, but they may be in a process of adoption, and during that time, they visit you regularly or they stay with you. And they're even, those each are safe houses, isn't it? Uh, that you've got that. So there are many ways you can do this kind of thing. Maybe you do want to adopt. Maybe you say, I do want to adopt a child. And I think that's a big thing. I think it's a big thing. It's not a, a little thing. But I think that's a way that you can apply and obey James 1 verse 27. Or maybe you want to work at a children's home permanently, full-time job. Maybe you want to start your own children's home. Who knows what the Lord calls you to and what the Lord's plans for you are. But those are ways of applying James 1. Now, I don't know if anyone here is an orphan. I don't know if any of you grew up in a children's home. So I don't know anyone online. Maybe there is an orphan one day that will listen to this sermon and for that child, you know, I know that you might feel lonely and you might feel depressed and you feel rejected. Your father ran away. You don't know who your mom is or you know who your mom is and you never met your dad and your mom was on drugs. 
And so you're really in a difficult situation and you don't even know what the future holds. Well, who of us does? Who of us do? Um, and so yes, onzeker oor die toekomst. And you're tired of being uh, in a children's home. I remember um, one guy who lived in a children's home. He said this to the... I don't know what's his father and his mother. Anyway, those people. <laughs> so he said to the man... I'm tired of living in a children's home. Why did my parents throw me away? I don't want to live in a children's home. And he was tired of that. And I think, I think children that live in an orphanage, they, they might feel rejected. And it's almost like they've got the stigma around them. Everyone knows that's an orphan. They just want to be normal kids. They don't want to be seen as there's the orphan, there's the orphan. Everyone sees you that way. And maybe there are children listening to this someday and they feel that way. I want to tell you, God is a Father. God is a Father who saves sinners through His Son, Jesus Christ. God is a Father who adopts sinners. He adopts sinners through His beloved Son. And He makes us part of His family. His family, the church, as we read in 1 Timothy. And then you've got brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. I remember there was a guy, he's, I think, uh, Paul. Paul that couldn't talk. Both his parents died. But alright, he was on the street and he was mentally retarded because when his mother was pregnant with him, his father beat the mother and kicked her. And so he was born mentally retarded. He couldn't talk and he would come to our church and uh, we would pick him up. We later took him to a place where he could stay and then... Um, then we would fetch him for the weekend and he would come and visit us for the weekend. But that guy, he was so discouraged one day. And if you knew him long enough, he had certain words, certain sounds, and you could figure out what he's saying. And so he was really down because his parents had thrown him away or parents had died. I can't remember the story. And then I showed him Mark chapter 10, where it says that, that if we belong to Jesus then we will have a hundred times as much brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. It's talking about the church. So we got all these brothers and sisters. He was so happy. He was so happy. He would come again. He would say, <laughs> and I'd show him again. I'd read it again. He was so, so chuffed that he now has a family. <laughs> oh. uh, Psalm 68 again where it says, Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in His holy habitation. He places the lonely in a home. So your parents have thrown you away. God places you in a family. This is your house. This is your family now. And we care for each other. And we love one another. So for such, a, for such an orphan that feels that way, or a fatherless child, ask the Lord... Lord, please give me the new birth. Give me the new birth in my soul. Make me your own. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, God will adopt you as His own child. For all who have received Him, for those who believe in His name, He has given the right, them the right to become or to be called the children of God, says John 1 verse 12. Listen, don't forget this. Jesus did not only die on the cross so you can be forgiven of your sins. 
Jesus also died on the cross so that you could be adopted into the family of God, so that God would be your father and you would be his child. And how does he do that? Well, he does it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he lives in you. And the Holy Spirit in you, it's, he, he's even called in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4, he's called the spirit of adoption. And he comes and he dwells in you and you call out, Abba, Father, and now, now your identity changes from orphan to child of God. And that we read in John chapter 14, where Jesus said he'll send the spirit and I will not leave you as orphans. I will, I will come to you, Jesus says. Now, is God perhaps someone here, someone listening online, is the Lord perhaps calling you to do this ministry of Helping the orphans spiritually. So obviously you should help also in their suffering, in their needs, but also spiritually to bring this message of hope to orphans, that God is a father and he adopts sinners into his family. Maybe to be a biblical counselor. Orphans have issues. Orphans have troubles. Orphans have hurt. To go and help them with biblical counseling or maybe do Bible studies with them. That friend of mine that I spoke of earlier, that friend of mine, that's what he does at the children's home. He actually does much more, but the main thing, his focus is to help these children spiritually. So every week he goes and he teaches them the Bible and he teaches them the gospel. And who knows what the effect of that might be in the future. Let me give you one example. I'll close with this. One example of what that could mean for someone. Charles Spurgeon, he opened orphanages, and they still exist today, the Stockwell Orphanages. And he got this letter from a girl. Dear Mr. Spurgeon, I must first of all tell you, I am one of your old orphan girls. Because he had a house for boys and a house for girls. But the Lord, having found me and made me his child before I left the orphanage, I knew it would make you very happy if I wrote to you and told you this. I thought when my father died, I could never have another equal to him. But when I came to your orphanage, I discovered my mistake, for I found a better father. Capital F, that father. I found a better and truer father who will never leave me nor forsake me and to whom I can take all my trouble, all my problems, however small it may be. It seems almost too good to be true that Jesus was really crucified to save me. When I think of all the years I've grieved and pained Him, it only makes me want to try and please Him so much more in the future. Now, I think I must close my letter. Thank you for your kindness in giving us such a beautiful home to live in. It will always be something to look back on with pleasure for the rest of our lives, for which we can never thank you enough. I myself hope shortly to come forward and by baptism publicly let the world know that I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. Or rather should I say, He has accepted me as His child. <laughs>
I remain one of your old orphan girls. And then she signs her name. Oh, that's beautiful. And can't we as a church get involved some way to help the fatherless? To maybe that children's home in Birchley. To say, how can we get involved in these different ways I mentioned or other ways I didn't even mention? And I am ashamed to say tonight that I am 42 years old and I haven't done anything for such children. Especially in the light of verse 27 that says, that is true religion. That is pure religion. Oh, I'm ashamed. So may the Lord help us that we will have a pure religion and that we will help the orphans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, You have wounded my heart. Not in a bad way, in a good way. To show me my own neglect and my own sin in not caring for the orphans. Please, will you help our congregation, help our church, help the elders in our planning and discussion. How can we help these orphans? How can we help the fatherless? Especially because you teach us in your word, this is pure religion. Help us to live these pure lives that will be pleasing and honoring to you in loving first and foremost the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and then to love our neighbor as ourself. In Jesus' name, amen.